Hello and welcome to Backstage, the entertainment podcast from Sky News with Sky News correspondent Katie Spencer back from sunning herself in Spain. Oh, well, I needed to top up the town. You look lovely, I must say. Uh, also with us, Stevie Wong, entertainment interviewer and blogger of the World of Wongy Facebook page, all the way from Los Angeles today. Ooh. Hello. I think there's a little bit of a delay, but bear with. And it's me, Sky News Entertainment reporter Claire Gregory. Coming up, we will be talking all things Ocean's 8. There is this um, unnatural pressure on a film like this, which has all women on the poster. And you go, please, God, do well. We'll be finding out what this excitement is all about. Ten. And we'll be going back in time to when John Travolta was defending his passion project. I think the closer you get to a project, the better it is. But first of all, let's discuss the latest female reboot, Ocean's 8. So for anyone that doesn't know, it's the latest movie in the Ocean's franchise. Uh, and you've got Sandra Bullock heading up a huge cast of names. You've got Rihanna, Kate Blanchett, Helena Bonham Carter, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson. Like the list does go on and on. Even James Corden's in there. Sandra plays Debbie Ocean, the sister of Danny, who was played by George Clooney in the original movies. She gets together a team of female con artists in a bid to pull off a jewellery heist at the Met Gala. The film is doing really well in the US. It's only just out here, so we don't know how it's going to go yet. But Cast I think have been everywhere, haven't they? Yes. So much promo Serious promo. But I don't think it's going to have the troubles that, say, the Ghostbusters female reboot did. And for once, it's a film we've all seen. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. So what did you guys think of it? I think... You know, whatever it was, it was just really nice to see all of these women on screen together. And so I was just smiling the whole time. I, I don't know if you had the same same effect. Great cast. I really did enjoy. I, I think that it's stellar cast. Really good job in sort of lining up all of those women. Oh, here comes the butt. OK, so the girls get their own heist movie. But it's all about pretty dresses and like tight clothes and jewellery. Is that not? I mean, come on. Yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from. I just thought it was really, you know, when you walk out the cinema and you walk a little taller and you feel a bit like you're in your own heist movie out on the streets of London. I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really empowering. I, I think it, it's just one of those things where it's just been so rare to see so many wonderful women on a screen that I I forgot a little bit that at how basic the film could is a little bit, but at the same time, you know, it's it, it's proven that that there is a market for this, and so hopefully this will lead to a, another group film where maybe the screenwriting is going to be a little bit more interesting, or maybe you know maybe they'll do another sequel to Oceans and we'll get to see more deeper uh, plot lines. But for now, this. This is this is this is pretty good. It's a summer film, so it's maybe a that's summer the best film. way to. It was yeah. entertaining, wasn't it? And I mean, the the cameos alone, the fact that they've set this at the Met Gala, the big fashion ball that Anna Winter hosts, you get to see so many of your your cameos from Kim Kardashian and the like. Yeah, there's some <laughs> there's some lovely kind of nods to popular culture. I I thought it was really great, and it is although it is very much kind of following the uh, the Ocean's formula. You you don't have to be a huge kind of fan of the previous films to watch it like it is a standalone as well and Stevie you were at the world premiere in LA what gossip did you get there well it was more like um the 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 fact and, and I'm sure you guys experienced it too it's like the Rihanna factor which was like everything was fine until she showed up and like every 
everybody went crazy, including the other actresses, which I thought was hilarious. And so, you know, there was this whole, like, ruckus of just people surrounding, and then people started to move closer towards her and stuff. And then when she walked down the uh, the red carpet, uh, it just, I don't know, it was just, there was this, like, everybody just stared at her like like she was the second coming. It was a very strange effect. And, and I don't know if that was the same thing, because I know she also did the red carpet in London. She did do the red carpet in London, but she was over an hour late. So this is actually, what I was going to say. Did she actually turn up on time to either of these then? Uh, she turned up no. so late that um, <laughs> everyone else had gone in. The film had started. It was, you know, the premiere was effectively over, but it kind of wasn't over because everyone was waiting for Rihanna. And, you know, it was one of those where the PRs are saying, well, we think she's coming. She's stuck in traffic. And there's a bit of, you know, eyebrow raising. So did raising. the rest of the cast have to wait to do a cast photo? Well, and I don't think there was a cast <gasps> photo because I didn't see. I suspect she was so late that, you know, Sometimes with premieres, they sort of go in one door and then out the other. I suspect some of them had left before Rihanna had had even arrived. She was that late, but she looked fabulous, and she kind of she didn't talk to anyone. She just uh, she just walked the carpet and had photos and looked fabulous. Was was the Graham Norton interview the only one that she she's ever done for this film? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think it was in fact because she didn't do um, any of the junket over in the states, but she was on Graham Norton, and it was a sort of special Graham Norton. I don't know if you either of you saw it, but it was just um, just the actresses from Ocean's Eight. There were five of them, was it, in the end on the mm-hmm. on the sofa, and it was just them. And it was good, but she was quite quiet in in that. And um, when I spoke to uh, Mindy Kaling and Sarah Paulson, they described her as surprisingly quiet. Did you think? Did you watch it, Stevie? What did you think? Oh, well, I, it was interesting watching Graham kind of push questions towards her and 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 i think maybe because i think he knew that this was the only time that she was going to be talking about this film in public so he was really kind of veering some of these like questions at her and and she gave like simple answers but it wasn't very yeah it was it was she's not she's not as kind of bombastic as you think she would be and 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 it's of course there's sarah paulson sitting next to her who has this uh really nice ability to kind of you know uh be in the center of it all and and i love her but it was interesting watching them kind of play off each other she's out of her comfort zone though isn't she so maybe she actually was just a bit in awe of being next to these actors who have done it many many times and i think she might just be a really laid-back character she does seem just quite chilled out doesn't she yeah i think so um, but, yeah, speaking of Sarah Paulson, she and uh, Sandra Bullock had a quick chat with them on the red carpet at, in London, and they um, they couldn't really bring themselves to get too serious, but they did talk about Rihanna. I would sing songs I think Rihanna should record that I made up that were not good. It was called Birdcage. It was a song about a birdcage. And she was like, your lyrics are terrible and your melodies are... Well, Rihanna could take that and spin that into gold. She could. Next thing we hear is a song called Birdcage. Bird like, oh, and I'll be like, I want the credit. And also on the red carpet was Helena Bonham Carter, who we managed to uh, also ask about joining the crown. Seems she's got some mixed feelings on that one. I'm very excited, but I also am quite daunted too, because it's such a success. So we have a responsibility to try and keep up that success. A lot of people went for her about the Irish accent that she's done, haven't they? I thought it was all right. I thought it was fine as well. I don't really get it. I feel like Helen is one of those actresses that people almost love to hate. People love to have a pop at her, I feel, and I think she's brilliant. This is the sad thing. I didn't even know she had an Irish accent. So, 
it was all part of the region for me. <laughs> yeah, and I bet you won't be the only person in the States that says that, actually. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I thought it was fine, and, and I thought she was good in it. I thought I she really carried the role. Yeah, yeah. I loved the... Uh, so the batty, sort of Vivian Westwood-type yeah. fashion design. Yeah. Character. And when we first see her, she's sort of sat on the floor eating from a jar of Nutella with a spoon, and I think, you know, we all go, yeah, we've all been there, Helena. <laughs> Um, but how does it leave us feeling about female reboots? Do we want more or would we just like more women in the industry and more films about women that aren't necessarily reboots of films that men have been in? What What do you think? I'm, I'm OK with the idea that it's a mixture of both because, you know, obviously Hollywood now is in this in this kind of uh, weird lull where they think that the only way to make money now is to use IP from previous, you know, success stories and stuff. And so uh, upcoming, we've got another heist film, uh, Widows, which is based off of a UK television series. Um, but this one ha- is directed by Steve McQueen and has Viola Davis and it's other actresses. And that looks amazing. Yeah, I'm and really so, excited for that one. Yeah. And so in that case i'm more than happy to see a reboot but then you know in the future i know jessica chastain did this big pre- uh, presentation at Cannes, which is called 355 and it has lupita nyongo and like fan bing bing and like uh, penelope cruz and these are women who are all like involved in the film they're co-producers and they managed to get universal pictures to pick up this film and they're going to make an original movie uh, also of the heist nature <laughs> um or spy nature to kind of uh and all-starring women and so that's that's kind of in- interesting I mean, my question is, does it have to be a genre film that brings all these women together, or can we do movies, you know, where it's not about them doing something extraordinary? And that's kind of my my curiosity. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how much of it is also kind of a reaction to this time that we find ourselves in, and um, Mm. how much is is going to actually be progress going forward. It's something that I briefly touched on when I spoke to um, Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, who were paired up for the interview when I had a chat with them. Let's have a, have a listen now. So here's Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett talking about Ocean's 8. And I started off by asking Sandra how she felt about coming back to this film when she doesn't work so much these days. I work so infrequently now because of my kids. Um, in this one, it seemed like it would... I never thought it would come together and then it did and then we had to make the decision of do we take the kids out of school and my son actually said you know let's go to New York and see if we can find a school we like so if it wasn't for him being so gung-ho about it I don't think I would have done it wow. and he, he was actually this we would have I think we would have begged yeah and, and begged I we would have got creepy and stalkerish yeah I'm a great teacher oh my god if Miss Blanchett taught my children <laughs> home, in, home economics be, maths I mean home, ma- I mean home economics and maths Homekin in maths. And maths. In plus. I mean, it would have been, yeah, I mean, with such a brilliant kind of cast, you've had all sorts going on there. Was there anyone that you were particularly excited to work with? Perhaps you hadn't worked with before, you had, had worked with before. Had you worked with any? No. Had you worked with anyone? I'd worked work with, with Sarah. I'd, um, oh, that's right. On Carol. And I and Helena and I had been in Cinderella, but I was the, the bad mother and she was the good godmother. So we'd never actually done anything We'd met a couple of times. Yeah, I like met events. Annie, but no. No, I hadn't worked with anyone. Ever. Ever. And this is the first time first that time you were on screen you. with other people. All other people. Well, gravity, you didn't. You work with a I tennis ball. I just worked by myself. <laughs> Except with a tennis ball and an LED in fact, panel. You, yeah, and so there, it was you, a bunch of tennis balls, it's and like, then we were, we were CGI'd in afterwards. Oh, my God, can you yeah. imagine? It's the first time we're meeting, actually. <laughs> I love your work. She's had way too much gravity. <laughs> 
<laughs> did, uh, did anyone surprise you? Was anyone one you know you thought they were going to be a certain way, but they're actually quite different? Or I mean, I think I, I mean I, I think the perception is that people who do serious bodies of work have no sense of humor, and this one right here and is it's true. wickedly fun. It's true. She can also be annoying, <laughs> but she's incredibly funny and fun. I mean, I think for the most part, everyone, as hard as everyone works in their in their careers, everyone was incredibly supportive and relaxed and fun mm. and more than happy to try and organize a drink or to go out, which we never did until the very end. But every, I was I was surprised by how relaxed everybody was and also how quickly it came together yeah I could it was sort of it was an idea and Gary had said you know he's had this idea with playing you know with Sandy playing um, Danny's ocean sister for ages and he mentioned the dream team cast he wanted and everyone just signed on and it seemed to sort of all come together in about six weeks which is a film this size mm -hmm. with people that busy it was kind of incredible and it's doing, you know, we're starting it's to doing see okay. office figures now, and like, is yeah. that really gratifying? Kind of when you're yeah. taking on a franchise? It's better than people hating it. <laughs> yeah, because then you have to do these junkets, and you can see the look on your face where you just hate it, and we have to pretend like you loved it, and that we have funny things to say, and. So here we don't have to say anything because we're just like, bam. But you know, there is there is this um, unnatural pressure on a film like this, which has all women on the poster, and you go, please God, do well, because then there's going to be we'll never it's, it's going to reinforce the the falsehood that the, these films don't do well and no one wants to see them. Which and what is, is a falsehood? Yeah, you know, huh? it's, that, a, that it's untruth. I mean, no, I know what a false. Oh, I thought you were asking wow. what a falsehood was because you never lie. And it does feel extremely timely, which I know is. You know, yeah. it didn't kind of work. It wasn't planned out to yeah. be released in this week. But yeah. do you think it would be doing so well at a different time, perhaps if it come out a year ago? Good film's a good film, but it, of I, course it has to do with the zeitgeist and, and when it's released, and that's just luck and timing. I mean, but I think yeah. also not just because we're women. I think because people were ready for something just that's just pure entertainment and fun. I think you know. I, mm. I think had we been in this sort of climate that's happening basically all over the world a year ago when this film came out, I think it would have done the same. I think people need the release of, mm. you know, real life and stepping into something that's purely fantastical and, and has a lot of eye candy with the costumes and humor and fun and doing mischievous things. I think, you know. Yeah, and, it's, it's I mean, and there are a bunch of outsiders and you kind of you hopefully root for them in the American sense of root, not in the Australian sense of root because what that would Australian be inappropriate. Rooting? You don't want to know. This really? is a family show. Oh. Is it? So, Katie, a big weekend for you, hanging out with superstar couple? Oh, I mean, like, not really hanging out with them, <laughs> if you count me and the thousands of people that are at the London Stadium. Oh, God, it was amazing. So, um, for months, I have just been so excited of the fact that I'd managed to get tickets for the On The Run 2 tour for Beyonce and Jay-Z, touring together. I just... Honestly, I haven't seen a show like that in years and years. I would say it's my favourite show, but just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I had like the, the best gig. Well, shall I briefly interrupt my own talk to say that a couple of weeks ago, I saw Nick Cave perform at a festival that we Ooh. had here. And the the performance that he gave at the end of his show, like I'm not a massive Nick Cave fan, but... The control he had, it was almost like a cult leader. And at the end of uh, this show that he did, the last song, he started picking people up from the crowd and he got about 200 people up on the stage behind him, like this big sort of religious 
cult leader. Amazing. And they were all like, one guy behind him was a bit drunk and said, oh, we want to take a selfie. And he turned around in a Nick Cave way and put his finger up and went, no. And just <laughs> silenced him and made him get down again low. And no. the band continued playing throughout and it was honestly the most incredible performance if you ever have a chance to see Nick Cave that is the best gig I've ever been to but (laughs) the second best gig I've ever been to on the run to with Beyonce and Jay-Z so good now I've seen Jay-Z before when he did a tour with Kanye and I think if it had been again just sort of Jay-Z and Kanye or something I would be talking about just how phenomenal Jay-Z was but I mean the fact that he was up next to Beyonce she is just the world's finest performer, the way she controls the audience, how she presents herself on stage, the politics of that Lemonade album, the the group of strong black dancers that she has behind her. It just feels like they're both at a stage now, her and Jay-Z, where they just don't care and they're just doing what they want to do. And the way that that impacts when you see them live, they're just fantastic, just fantastic. Did they play any of the songs that kind of dropped over the weekend from from their Carter's album? No, nothing. So this was the thing. It was all um, all the the last two albums from both of them. So Beyonce was just a sort of entirely lemonade, really. Um, and then at the very end, this happened. Countdown. Ten. So Jay-Z basically says, and we're going to end with this. All of the lights go off, and then the video for Ape, rude word we can't say on air, (laughs) it suddenly drops, and it is the audience are just staring there with their mouths open at the beauty of this video for this brand new album that they've got of nine tracks. And just have you seen the video? Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And again, it's one of these videos that is more than just a video and is really a commentary on uh, on all sorts of things and is already getting lots yeah. and lots and lots of press and opinion pieces and things like that. I mean, for those that haven't seen it, I mean, it's set in the Louvre, the most I famous know. museum in the whole wide world. <laughs> Only Beyonce and Jay-Z could manage to even get in there. And they are so close to things like the Mona Lisa that they're sort of in touching distance, about to set off the alarms. It's fantastic, and the whole way that the the fact that they're in this sort of really European space that's all the history of art and how it's got this history of colonialism, and the fact that they're these two powerful uh, black artists just smashing it around the world. They're just phenomenal. What a video. And what a kind of step up for the brand, because now the Carters, I mean, you've got Beyonce, you've got Jay-Z, and now you've got the Carters Carters. releasing albums. I mean, what's next, Stevie? Uh, They're going to do a performance in space. I I really have no idea what they're going to do next. Blue Ivy, I guess, has got to do a little... I know. <laughs> um, have you had a chance, Stevie, to listen to the album? Because it's only just really dropped on all platforms, hasn't it? Yeah, and and actually, I, I just I you know I read about it this morning, and so I, I was just kind of gleaming over it and just listening to a couple of tracks. I mean, it's it's it sounds beautiful, and and there's a lot of of commentary about how this is ironic. You know how like one at one of the the lyrics is that they were not going to put anything on Spotify. They basically gave a third finger to to Spotify, but yet it's also on Spotify today. So. Um, 
oh well (laughs) (laughs) which is good though because i mean who wants to sign up to tidal come on don't hold us all over a barrel with this album but they're taking big swings at people as well you've got jay-z rapping about how he sort of didn't care about doing the super bowl the biggest music show in america and uh hitting out the grammys as well the fact that he didn't get any last year Oh, they're well, not, I bet they're they'll, not be, they'll be welcomed back with open arms next year. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and shall we talk briefly about Millie Bobby Brown, who's the oh, latest? Poor girl. Yeah, Stevie, we sort of spoke briefly about this earlier. She's left Twitter following a campaign of what's being called targeted homophobic abuse. But what's kind of unusual about this is it's the abuse. It's not. It's not that people are having a go at her. They're almost having a bit of a joke at her expense or not at her expense. Can you explain it? it? It's it's kind of a weird one because I, I don't know where this came from, too. It just started with one tweet about her uh, pulling someone's hijab off at an airport. And then it was and then and how like it, it was Millie Bobby Brown who did it. And then somebody kind of like followed up with that saying that, you know, she wanted to take a selfie with her. But she said, I don't take selfies with gay people. And then with the hashtag that just that then turned into a thing called take down Millie Bobby Brown. And, and none so, of this is true, is it? None of it's true because she's actually kind true. of well known for being a vocal supporter of LGBTQ rights. She's an anti-bullying campaigner. She's like a, a real good soul, right? Can I just right. double check? Then, We're talking about the same person. Millie Bobby Brown as in Stranger Things actress. As in 14-year-old yes. Millie Bobby Brown. Poor girl. And so then other people just jumped on this bandwagon and started making up these crazy stories. And just things got crazier and crazier. And and it was like at one point there's one about her running down a person in a car. And like and and finally she just took it off. She took off Twitter because it just didn't make any more sense. And, and all of these were just like weird like a it was like a joke but at the same time extremely uh like uh, tasteless you know and so I, I i don't understand the way twitter kind of now trolls people but this is this is taking it to a different kind of uh way and i think it is twitter specific because she her instagram account is still active and it, it is it does seem to be like a weird specific Twitter kind of trolling, but it just feels so uncomfortable because it is Millie Bobby Brown, who is 14 years old. Can you imagine having that abuse at 14 years old? And seemingly, yeah, very strange and not really about you at all and and kind of like a joke that's got out of hand. But you just think, what what are people thinking? And why do they do this stuff? It is completely beyond me. This is a weird week for a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, others to recently quit Twitter include uh, Kelly Tran, who played Rose in Star Wars. Who uh, yes. There's a lot of chatter about that because she quit following uh, lots of abuse from Star Wars sort of fanboys, for want of another term, who felt that she shouldn't be in the most recent films. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone, director, a fellow cast, anyone with their right mind who's seen the film thinks, of course, she should be there. And it's just it's just ridiculous that people think it's appropriate to troll in this way. Oh, I do feel like that's why Instagram is slightly kinder, isn't it? Because you can control the comments and it is just mostly about nice pictures, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think Twitter's turning into a very strange space. Maybe I should move all my references back to my, my Instagram page then. I mean, not that... <laughs> <laughs> when you ask for people to write in, I'm like, oh, write me on Instagram now. So that's what I should do. <laughs> yeah. 
Shall we go back in time now, Katie? Do you want to take Why us not? into the past? Come on, let's have a look in the Sky Archive then. Of course, we do so many stories that we thought we'd take you back to the year 2000 when John Travolta had finally managed to get his passion project made and into cinemas. Now, his career had had a bit of a resurgence during the 90s because, of course, he was cast in Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino's cult film. Uh, it changed everything for him and basically he used his status then to get a film called Battlefield Earth off the ground. Now, it was based on a book by the founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. And as a long-time Scientologist, John Travolta, bless him, had spent a long time trying to secure the funding to get it made. He'd eventually managed to sort of get a drum up some support from in- independent companies and pour a lot of his own money into it. And... As you might have been able to expect, the finished product didn't turn out that well. Critics panned it. It did terribly at the box office and ended up getting eight Razzie Awards. Now, come on, that's a good showing. At the time, that was record-breaking, but that's not the sort of record that you want to break. Um, Anyway, basically, we find John on this UK press tour when the film's already out in the US, already doing very badly. Let's hear what he had to say. I just thought that because of Star Wars and the kinds of success that had it, it may be more viable as a science fiction movie. But I couldn't get the script right, and then it took many years to, to get it right. And finally I did. It was worth uh, fighting to get it financed and, you know, uh, done. But also, you know, of course, I got to play the villain in this now, where years ago I played the hero, and um, I think Barry is far writer for that than I would have been, you know. When a project, project's a labour of love, is, it, is there any danger you can get too close to it? Uh, no, I think the closer you get to a project, the better it is, because then you're more willing to take responsibility for it. Have you been quite hurt, though, by the reception it's had in America? It hasn't done at all well. No, because, you know, I had, when we had a premiere at the Chinese theatre, much like this, I had Quentin Tarantino on my left, I had Billy Bob Thornton in the back, I had um, George Lucas the night before, and they loved it so much. It was like... You know, and the audiences have been loving it, so I think, well, that's what matters, you know, the most. But some people are saying that when you, you had your renaissance with Quentin Tarantino, but some people are saying this could be your career breaker again. Oh, well, what do you think about this? <laughs> so he manages to laugh it off, and it's with not one solitary tear, I imagine. <laughs> and of course, you know, John Travolta has been in many films since, and it, it probably didn't break his career in perhaps the way that that reporter might have yeah. been suggesting there, but. This does seem particularly relevant right now because poor old John is back on the press tour for his latest film about um, the mob boss John Gotti. And again, it's been absolutely slammed by critics. So far, it's got a quite a rare 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. No, nothing gets 0%. At the moment, it's on 0%. And it, it, pre- it premiered in... Uh, people in... have actually seen it, though. <laughs> yeah, people yeah, yeah, going yeah. in to see it and still not even 1% for... People have seen it. And John I, being I, I thought it. our very own Stevie Wong may have seen it because it was on at Cannes, but he somehow managed to avoid it, Stevie. Oh, my God. So so I was asked to go check out this film, and I was like, come on, don't make me you know, lose 90-plus minutes of my life from a movie that I'm kind of pretty sure it's not very good. And so... Um, yeah, I went and had a sandwich instead. So there you go. <laughs> was it a good sandwich? Would it have got more than 0% oh, on Rotten Tomatoes? South of France sandwich was the best sandwich in the town. Yeah, uh, But yeah, it was it was one of the things where I knew that it was a dog going in. And so I had, I had really no interest. And and, uh, and and look what happened. It got a zero on, in Rotten Tomatoes. So I was not incorrect, thank you. And John Travolta's been everywhere at the moment. I saw he was uh, he's been 
buddying up with Chris Pratt on talk shows and things like that. I he think I saw a... one of my friends interview him somewhere in New York at an iconic uh, place that's in Saturday Night Fever and he was really yes. embarrassingly dressed up in the like Saturday Night Fever outfit and stuff because it's the anniversary of that, isn't it? And was he having a boogie? You... I think he was eating a hot dog or something. <laughs> did you did you see this, Stevie, as well? What it's it's how many years has Saturday Night Fever been out? Is it thirty plus? Is this what what was the anniversary number? Do you do you must remember? Must be more than that, mustn't it? it basically, <laughs> the the uh, the pizza place that was referenced in the movie was having the same anniversary because uh, and so he went to to celebrate uh, the, the you know this place and so he went to kind of. Um, to celebrate it with uh, with them, and and was there with his wife, and and uh, I guess he also wore a Saturday Night Fever outfit. <laughs> well, it's always going to be bad, though. You're always, I mean, don't dress up as your 18 year old self because the comparisons oh, aren't going to be good, are they? A day in the life of John Travolta. <laughs> it's a a fascinating thing. So that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. Do feel free to get in touch with us about any uh, any feedback you might have, any questions you might have, any topics you'd like us to cover. Um, Katie, where are you? Instagram, Spenny Picks. Stevie? I was Twitter, but now I'm back to Instagram, <laughs> so it's Wongy1 at Instagram, thank you. Or you're easy to find on Facebook as well. You're the king <laughs> of social media. Uh, and I am also on Instagram, Claire Sky Showbiz. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.